Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Caitlin Kenny, And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Today on the show, for one show only, we're bringing back the Planet Money Indicator. Lots of you have been writing to us and letting us know that you miss the indicator. You miss our very own Jacob Goldstein. So today for you, we have not one, not two, but three very special Planet Money indicators. These indicators are not the usual suspects. They have nothing to do with the Dow, with consumer confidence, or with quarterly earnings. Instead, we've got three Planet Money ways to try to figure out what's going on in the economy. All the stories you'll hear on today's show have aired on the radio, but as always, we're collecting them for you here today so that you don't miss anything. Our first indicator is what one famous economist has called the ask-your-uncle approach to figuring out what's going on in the economy. It actually has a super boring title, The Beige Book. But, of course, we are not afraid of a boring title here. Our own Zoe Chase and Robert Smith dug inside The Beige Book when it came out last week. Here's what they found. The Beige Book is the weirdest economic report of them all. It's called the Beige Book because it used to be covered with the gorgeous color of beige, but now it's electronic. Richard Fisher from the Dallas Federal Reserve, he is still psyched when he gets his copy because this is a report with no numbers, just little stories from businesses around the country. Yeah, it reads like a letter sent home from camp. This part of the economy is awesome. This part is so lame. From today's report, we see that sporting goods are flying off the shelves in Boston. Mm -hmm. Boat manufacturers in St. Louis, struggling. In Virginia, higher mortgage rates led one banker to say refinancing has died. So how do we get these stories? Teams of economists at the Federal Reserve offices around the country literally pick up the phone and call, say, the lumber guy and ask, how is business this month at the lumber store? How is business this month at the lumber store? This month has been uh, pretty good, I'd say. Um, what, do you, what do you think, Pete? It started off to be a good month, yes. It's that easy. Just talk to Eddie Scheffler at Dykes Lumber in Manhattan. <laughs> and Pete. The Fed is the most powerful force in the economy. They set interest rates. They make the money. So why is the Fed listening to people like Eddie? Richard Fisher says these little anecdotes give you advance warning. For instance, they knew that something was fishy with the housing market a few years ago when they heard from beer stores that they were selling fewer six-packs. Because the people that work in construction consume beer, uh, and they also consume it in certain patterns. You heard that beer consumption was down from some convenience store owners, and so you could infer that a housing downturn was going to take place in the economy. You could infer that there were changes taking place, and it wasn't just convenience stores, but also the distributors, the Budweiser and other beer distributors. The problem with the Beige Book is that it gives you a snapshot, but it doesn't tell you what to do with that information. The beer was an important sign. But seeing it didn't change what happened. Okay, so everyone pay close attention to the signs in today's report. Zoe? Employment agencies in the New York region say this is the best year for college grads since 2008. Yeah, they should go into sales. In Philadelphia, auto dealers said that business was on fire in June. Best in six years. A firearms manufacturer in the St. Louis region is hiring, and so is a bakery. Yeah, and everyone in the report, when you read it, complains about the weather. It's too wet. It's too dry. In Philadelphia, they say the rain drove people to hang out at the mall, but not into the stores. Pet stores in San Francisco are hurting. It's hard to know what it all adds up to. One Fed economist once described the Beige Book as the ask-your-uncle method of gathering information. But Richard Fisher from the Dallas Fed says 
hey, my uncle had lots of good advice. And the Beige Book does too. But as exciting as it is inside, there are no plans to change the name. You have to remember, uh, central banking is not supposed to be exciting. And I think beige is sort of the color that I would identify as the central bank's, the Federal Reserve's color. We want to be beige. We want to be bland. We consider it more of a racy novel covered in a brown paper bag. That was our very own Zoe Chase and Robert Smith. Our next indicator is an old obsession of mine. It's the price of gold. The price of gold, as it turns out, has fallen by about 30% since December. And to see what this means on the ground, we went to a neighborhood pawn shop. People in our neighborhood need money. They can't go to a bank because there's no real credit behind them. So they bring in jewelry and we are their bank. This is Maurice Malin. He owns a pawn shop in the Bronx. And pawn shops, it turns out, our place where gold still holds tremendous power, where people use it to finance their lives. This next story comes to us from Lisa Chow, who's joining Planet Money, while our own Hannah Jaffewal is out on maternity leave. William Roman runs a small cleaning company, and occasionally he has expenses he can't make. Like paying the cleaners or paying my phone bill. To make the payments, while many business owners might take out a loan from a bank, Roman turns to his local pawn shop. Now, if you want a loan from a bank, The bank will look at your assets, check your credit, and charge you interest on the money they lend. Pawn shops also lend money to people and charge interest. The difference is there are no applications to fill out. Instead, you have to bring some form of collateral so that if you don't pay back the loan, the pawn shop can sell your stuff. I pawn laptops, PlayStations, I pawn whatever I could. Like, if I'm not using it, then I'll just go and pawn it. When Roman pays back his loan, he gets his item back. On this day, he's picking up a watch he pawned a month earlier. Well, it's a Movado, and um, I only got 80 bucks for it, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, my favorite watch. Watches aside, the main thing people pawn is gold. Gold bracelets, necklaces, rings. I have a lot of gold. Well, it's all in At this point, Roman points at his pawnbroker. Gold functions in the pawn shop world as houses did in the banking world. And recently, the same thing that happened with houses happened with gold. The price plummeted. Emmanuel Samuels is a pawnbroker in Brooklyn. We made loans that we're holding for people that were made in, uh, let's say, December. And in December, gold was like $1,690. $1,690 an ounce, nearly 30% more than gold's current price. Banks faced similar declines in housing values during the financial crisis. The banks, a lot of them went out of business. Are pawn shops going out of business? No. That's because pawnbrokers have always been more conservative. Of the ones I spoke to, nobody said they lent amounts greater than 70% of gold's value. That's like the entire banking industry demanding a 30% down payment on every house. Pawn shops, they don't want you to default. They want you to pawn your ring, pay back your loan, and pawn your ring again. I have people that pawn the same items for for 10 years, over and over. Every time they have a problem, here they come. Then when they have some money, they pick it up. Two, three months later, here they are back again. Those are the best customers. No, I never lost my jewelry. In 10 years that I've been here, I never lost my jewelry. Rosa Levy is one of those customers. On this day, she's picking up her husband's 14-karat gold ring and paying back the $70 she borrowed six weeks ago plus the $10 of interest and fees. 
I had seen Levy the previous day, dropping off another ring to borrow 50 bucks. She says she used that money for cab fare to bring her husband home from the hospital. I think she has six loans in total. Jay Rosado is Levy's pawnbroker. He says something that a lot of people told me. During the recession, when gold prices started rising, default rates went up because people could borrow so much more money with their gold. Some people start thinking of, okay, if I get this amount of money, now I get $500 more, I can do so much more, but they don't realize that you have to pay back that loan. The interest on $1,000 is not the same as the interest in $500. Rosado says his default rates nearly doubled during the boom. More than half of his customers never picked up their gold, and so Rosado sold it. Now, default rates are back to normal. And unlike banks, who'd like to see housing prices go back up again, Rosado says he'd like gold prices to fall even more so that his customers can start buying gold again because more gold out in the market means more stuff to pawn. That's Lisa Chow. Our last indicator today is an indicator of tremendous growth in a certain industry. It's an industry here in Manhattan that's been accused of being greedy, non-transparent, exploitive, and it's finally gotten so big, so significant, that regulators are cracking down. Pedicabs. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, like the bikes where there's like two seats in the back with big carts and they haul people, mostly tourists, around the city today. For our final indicator today, Zoe Chase explains New York City's new regulations for pedicabs. Say you're in midtown Manhattan, rush hour. You need to go a mile uptown, no taxis available. Pedicab is not a bad option. $15, local price. Uh, if you said to me not too expensive, I'll put it say maybe $12. I climb in, we take off. Julian Azaza zips through traffic, gets up close to the buses. We're right in the middle of 6th Avenue at rush hour. <laughs> definitely feels like the Wild West of transportation options. And for many years, it has acted like that, too. There is no standard rate here like there is when you take a bus or a taxi. And like in the Wild West, innocents get fleeced out here. Most famously last August, somebody was charged uh, $442 to go from Mary Poppins to a restaurant called Milos. That's about three quarters of a mile. This is Laramie Flick, pedicab driver. Before the ride, he told them it was a dollar a block. Uh, after the ride, he told them it was a dollar a block, yes, but it was a $100 minimum per person. <laughs> and then he asked for a tip. Amazingly, they paid up. This is exactly the kind of thing the city doesn't want happening to its tourists. So new rules, you have to post your prices. Laramie Flick, he's for this. He's president of the Pedicab Owners Association. He helped craft the new rules. But not all his brethren are on board. Like many businessmen facing regulation, they say there's things you don't understand about our business. Ibrahim Donmez, pedicab driver for eight years, he's not a fan of the new regulations. I'm charging $20 uh, for two people, and they want me to charge $20 for three people. Do you think that makes sense? If I have, like, you know, the third person is, like, 200 pounds. Do you think it makes sense? So you're saying you want to be able to charge more if you have, like, a really heavy person? Of course. I mean, it's a human-powered business. Or what if it's mainly uphill, or it's raining, or the passengers are rowdy, or just annoying? They are right behind you, breathing down your neck. It's an intimate experience. 
Ibrahim says this is a one-on-one negotiation. Me and the customer, we figure out the price. The whole business is based on hustling, okay? Like, just like the Times Square hustlers. But a lot of pedicab drivers, they're psyched to get regulated, to lose the hustling reputation. Because that scares off potential customers. Something this scrappy still, Laramie says, it's still word of mouth. So the word has to be good. You see people in the pedicab, they're having the time of their life, they've got a big smile on their face, they're enjoying the city, and then you know in about three minutes... You know, the rest of their day, they're going to be complaining about the pedicab that just charged them $90. <laughs> the new rules take effect next week. There will not be a standard price. Pedicab drivers still can come up with whatever they want as long as they post it clearly and the rate is standard per minute, not, say, per pound, so that every customer gets treated the same and knows what they're getting into. Planet Money's own Zoe Chase. That story originally aired a couple weeks ago. The new pedicab rules are now in effect, which means if a pedicab driver is going to try to charge you $100 a minute, well, at least you'll know about it ahead of time. We are the reckless, we are the wild youth. As always, we want to know what you thought of today's show. You can email us, planetmoney at npr.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Spotify. We got an app. For the iPhone, I'm Jacob Goldstein. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Thanks for listening. And if you're still bleeding, you're the lucky ones. Because most of our feelings, they are dead and they are gone. We're setting fire to our...